Justin Shears and welcome to Only a Northern Song. In this series, I'll be exploring the words and the music of the Beatles, but not through the usual tracks that we all know so well. I'll be delving into my extensive collection of outtakes, home recordings and demos, alternate mixes and interviews, to shed some new light on lesser known aspects of the Beatles' recorded legacy. Somewhere along the line, George Harrison had been dubbed the Quiet Beatle, perhaps as he didn't stand out like John and Paul when publicity was needed and seemed to only chime in to press conferences and interviews when he was directly asked a question or was ready with the funny one-liner. Perhaps it was his introspection and spirituality which led to his more contemplative approach to stardom, manifesting in his absorption of all things Eastern, including Indian music and mantras. One could also argue that being the youngest of the Fab Four, and constantly in the shadow of John Lennon and Paul McCartney as a songwriter, may have contributed to George's more subtle persona. Irrespective of the origins of the Quiet Beatle label, George Harrison had, of late, begun to assert himself more, by leading the others towards the inner light through the teachings of the Maharishi and Transcendental Meditation, as well as burgeoning as a songwriter George had begun adjusting his place in the group. When the band met on the freezing soundstage of Twickenham Film Studios on the 2nd of January 1969, George had come prepared with a handful of songs to offer the group for their new project. Like, 
it's the the three first, second, and third on the fourth fret. Just the first, second, and third. Then with those two. From the very first day of the Get Back Sessions, a guitar run-through of Let It Down, George's first official offering to the Beatles' new film and recording project, George's reputation for bringing half-finished or untitled numbers to the recording studio was well known, and sometimes a source of frustration to the others. But this time, it seems, George had a swag of brand new songs to offer, all of which were generally complete enough to show the band how they went, and then work out the finer details of their arrangements as they went. Many of these songs would eventually end up on George's seminal debut solo triple album, All Things Must Pass. Running. Early versions of All Things Must Pass. From the 2nd of January 1969, George plays the song through on electric guitar for the others to hear for the very first time, with John trying to play along intuitively. And from the 3rd of January, 
In the absence of John for the first part of the session, George ponders what kind of arrangement would best suit the song and decides that it needs acoustic guitar and drums, which Paul is happy to provide for the time being. Of all the future solo tracks that George brought to these sessions, All Things Must Pass was the only one to really capture the attention of the others, and it was allocated a relatively high amount of rehearsal time in the first week of the sessions, culminating in this charming version from the 8th of January.
With his creative juices clearly running hot, the debut of another song which would eventually feature on the All Things Must Pass album the following year, Hear Me Lord. In fact, the 6th of January was the only day in the whole of the Get Back sessions where this song would be played by George. And sadly, each time he tried to inject it into the rehearsals, it would be briefly tolerated by John and Paul before another number, usually one of their own, was given preferential treatment. The 7th of January featured lengthy discussions, led by a clearly frustrated Paul, as to the very future of the group if they weren't able to commit to the current project. George, who by this stage is also clearly frustrated by the lack of attention given to his songs so far, begins to voice his pessimism. Well, just the whole idea of, do you want to do it? Do we want to do it? And, and that's the joke, see, after it all came about, apparently Neil was saying, we'd all phoned him individually, saying things like, you know, can you get them together? Can you get it? Can you get it together? You know, I want to know. What are we doing? You know. But like, instead of asking each other, we have gone to Neil, you know, like, asked him, you know, what are one of the lads doing? But we keep coming up against that one, and I keep saying, yeah, well, I'd like to do this, this and that. Yeah, and I'd like to do this, and I'd like to do that, and I'd like to do that. And we end up doing something again that nobody really wants to do. Well, you know, I think, you know, if this Maybe one turns public into that, it should definitely be the last for all of us. Because there just isn't any point. Yeah, that's it. I think that'd be sad. I mean... As an audience, it's stupid, you know, it is just stupid, but it's even more stupid the other way to go through it. I agree, because this time where you could be using for what you want to be stupid before, it's creative instead of doldrums, which it always is. I wrote in my book, it's like trying to keep a diary of what's going on, so I cut it. Doldrums is the word I use. The Dolphins have been coming like to a ship on a boat. Well, the Beatles have been in Dolphins for at least. Yeah. You see, yeah, that that is that is terrible. We're all together, you see, that's a funny thing. But when we do come together to play together, we all just sort of talk about the fucking past. When we go to the pensioners, remember the days when we used to rock? Yeah, but we're here now, we can do it. But I mean, I'm on it. saying about the songs was like the reason you know like I've got about 20 songs from 1948 was because I knew very well the moment I'd bring them in the studio that there they has gone you know and uh, so I never and like slowly now I can bring a couple out because it's I can get it more like how it, it should have been then and that's you know it's like it's just. 
that's what I'm, that's what I'm on to. We should have a divorce. Well, I said that at the last meeting. But it's getting nearer, you know. Food help the children. Dick James. As the sessions continued, amid endless rehearsals of Maxwell's Silver Hammer, a song generally loathed by the others, Paul chastises John for his lack of new material. However, as one who was trying to step out of the songwriting shadow cast by the phenomenal Lennon and McCartney brand, George would not be dissuaded by his senior partner's indifference. Instead, he harnessed the idea of the big egos filling the studio and returned to Twickenham on the 8th with a brand new song, written overnight, for consideration. As Ringo and George were the first into the studio the next day, the Beatles drummer was the first to hear the new song. I mean mine, it's called. I don't, I don't, I don't care if you don't want it on your show. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> Go in the musical. So heavy won't. <laughs> was next to arrive, and George dutifully premiered his hours-old composition to his next bandmate, who, perhaps in the light of the previous day's conversations, at least listened carefully. Do you want to hear the song I wrote yes. last night? Yeah, it's nice. It's just a very short one. <clears throat> Called I Me Mine. Six, eight. This timing. <laughs> One, two, three, four, but, but three, four, not three, four, when you don't do it, bum, tit, tit, bum, tit, yeah, tit.
problematical. Flowing more freely than wine. Yeah. Flowing much no, freer. Fantastic. More freely. Freer. Freer. It's freer. funny when if you're writing, yeah, thinking of how you say freer. But I got fruit sticky out here. I was thinking. Freer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Freer. If you if there was such a word as freer, is it F E E R? No, it's F R E E R. It's F R E E R. Like queer. Freer. <laughs> As was often the case, John arrived last and was given the courtesy of a demo from George. His response was less than respectful. Despite its initially lukewarm responses from the others, the Beatles worked on I Me Mine on and off during the day and made some progress on the arrangement.
From the 8th of January 1969, a full band rehearsal of I Me Mine, still with its original flamenco-style instrumental, which would be replaced by a rocking refrain when re-recorded almost exactly a year later in January 1970, minus John, who'd already left the group and was holidaying in Denmark. Footage from the 8th made it into the final cut of the Let It Be movie, with John and Yoko waltzing around the studio floor. The very next day, George persisted with his regime of introducing new songs to the group, this time a song which the others seemed to get behind quite quickly.
Just couldn't get it around all of them at all. <laughs> Two run-throughs of For You Blue, a pacey number which George himself later described as a simple 12-bar song following all the normal 12-bar principles, except that it's happy-go-lucky. Being a standard style of song, the band found it easy to play along to and spent some time working out potential parts, John on the guitar and Paul on the piano, in a very similar style to the finished version of the track. Further rehearsals throughout the day brought the song to a fairly solid arrangement. From the 9th of January 1969, an electric version of For You Blue, complete with John's comment on the brevity of the tune. George feels that using his acoustic guitar would be better for the final show, the form of which, at this stage, was still undecided. George's musical and personal friendship with Bob Dylan saw him busk many tunes by the folk icon during the Get Back sessions. Their musical partnership would last a lifetime with many collaborations, including their supergroup roles of Nelson and Lucky Wilbury. We'll probably write some fast ones here together, you know, all of us.
the sun cut flat on covering Crossroads I'm standing at handful of Bob Dylan, or at least Bob Dylan-inspired, songs from January 1969. I Shall Be Released was captured on the very first day of sessions on the 2nd of January. Written by Dylan, it was recorded by the band on their seminal Music from Big Pink LP in 1968, probably the version George was most familiar with at this point. We then heard a trio of acoustic numbers from the 9th, Ramblin' Woman is most likely a George Harrison composition in the Bob Dylan style, heard a couple of times during these sessions, but never heard of again since. This segued neatly into I Threw It All Away, written by Dylan and clearly taught to Harrison during his visit with Bob only two months earlier. The song would emerge on Dylan's Nashville Skyline LP just three months after George's rendition here. And finally, Mummy You've Been On My Mind, recorded by Dylan in 1964 for his Another Side of Bob Dylan LP, but never used. The song was performed as a duet with Joan Baez several times and has been covered by many artists, including Johnny Cash, Rod Stewart and Jeff Buckley. George's growing disillusionment with the Get Back Sessions, mainly due to the lack of progress and the dismissal of his songs, came to a head during filming at Twickenham with a famous argument between him and Paul on the 6th. Okay, we're really, we're going to have to sort of bring it together because we're all at odds, we're doing that thing we did on the Beatles, we're all playing, you know. Like, the, the, like in this verse, it's two harmonies singing, trying to say some words. So like, yeah, but that's when the riffs bits come up. The riffs, uh, there's no riffs. I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, on, in, in memories. 
uh, but it's not it's not together so that it's not sounding together even on or we can stop and say it's not together you know, blending with the I never know what to say to that, you know, because what I want to say is, you know, now come on and play, yes. you know, and but I can't, I know, yes. you know, and we get into that one. Okay. <laughs> so here we go. I can't make it beyond that. It's like, it's, it's complicated now. So, see if we can get it simpler and then complicate it where it needs complications. But it's complicated it's in the bit. No, it's not complicated. I mean, you know. I mean, I'll play just the chords, if you like. And no, no, and then the chords I'm trying to do. Annoying annoying I'm, I'm trying to help, you know. But I always hear myself mm. annoying you. And I'm trying to... No, you're not I, annoying. I get so I can't you say it. Annoy me but you know what I mean? Well, you know, we do this then. I mean, and then, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I can't do it on film, either. Agree that it's that it's confused at the moment. So all I'm trying to say is, is like, yeah, let's get the confusion, unconfused, then confused. But you know, like we're just that's what we've been doing all afternoon. And this is why we're not getting anything done. You know, we're just going, rolling on with it. We've only got 12 more days. So like, you know, we've really got to do this methodically. This one, like, unconfused, and then a bit more confused. Then okay, let's stop and go and look into this bit. No, gallop. okay, but don't, no, come on, look, you know. The galloping bit, and I'll just vamp. Look, you know, the, <laughs> no, it's not like that, no, is it? 
You see, that's it. It's like, well, we've got to do this. We've really got to sort out this because we're, this is, we're like, this is the one, you know. Now we're rehearsing and we're trying to like get it together for a TV show. So we really, like you said, we've only been through four numbers. Mm. So we've probably got to get some system to get through like 20 or 30 and know them all and have learned them. And it's probably going to be like sculpture so that we get all the chords so we can all vamp them all. Yeah. Then we can like all play every solo we need. <coughs> you know, but like, you know what I mean? It's got to sound as though it's improving. But yeah, well it actually, it sounded to me that for me, it was a waste of my time playing when we started it today. I mean, I just sort of remembering then what it was getting into the other day after playing it for about an hour and a half. And uh, suddenly, you know, I start finding the mic that what I'm doing is starting to have something, you know, have some structure to it. You know, that's the thing. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean, you know, because it's like... You know, I mean, it's just that that way of doing it, you know, puts me off the way I'm trying to do it. Well, that's, and, you know, that's all, you know, I can only do me, you know, that one way, however I do, you know. The consistent shunning of George's new songs was the final straw, and he quit the band just before lunch on the 10th of January. I think it, it needs a bit more of that. This one. It needs a bit more of that. In fact, maybe you shouldn't both do that. Could you just stop playing for a minute, John? Yes, right. I'm trying to talk to you about this arrangement. Thank you. Can we go for lunch? Is it lunch already? No. Yes. I'll be uh, leaving what? the band now. When? Now. Get a place. Yeah, let me and get a few people. How much do you want to see? Uh, but he shouldn't be bothered with that. You know, that's why we've got Apple. So, we, you know, we attend to it ourselves. We aim to please. Have you got you know, all these cases? Are you still turning? Hmm? Yes. Oh. <laughs> okay, George, take it. <laughs> Following George's departure. The Fab Three carried on after lunch as if nothing had happened. And being a Friday, meetings were held at Ringo's house in Surrey over the weekend to try to settle the situation. Lengthy conversations were captured on Monday the 13th when the Beatles returned to work. And with John not showing up to Twickenham until very late, the breakup of the Beatles seemed to all in the room to be a real possibility. By Wednesday the 15th, the final day of the Twickenham sessions, George was still a no-show and a meeting was arranged that afternoon for the four. Resolutions were made and some bridges mended, with an undertaking by George to return to the Beatles' own Apple studio a week later to resume recording and filming. With progress being made on some song arrangements 
and the arrival of keyboard maestro Billy Preston on the 22nd, things began to look up. Even with no firm plan for a culminating performance in place, the mood in the studio was lighter and the music lifted exponentially as a result. Okay. Sometimes you just pull the guitar like that. It's amazing. You want to know a secret? Yeah, is it all, was it all right? I mean, Miss Ola was out of this world. From the 25th of January 1969, an alternate take of For You Blue, the only one of George's songs recorded during the January 1969 sessions to make it onto the final Let It Be album. Throughout the remaining few days of the sessions, George would continue to canvas songs which would eventually end up as tracks on solo albums or Beatles B-sides. There's a, there's a nice song that I wrote way back in the 50s. <laughs> yeah, about three years ago. And I just sung it to John. And he said, he said, uh, it's too much like fucking, you know. <laughs> anyway, 
but I thought it was good. It was the one, you know, when I was in LA, it was because Ron knows this guy who's something to do with reprieve, then it was like saying, he got a song for Sinatra. Which I was thinking, you know, that's oh, nice. Fancy, yeah, one in 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 he just learns it all, just comes in, the band have learned it a little bit, and he just walks in and does it, maybe two takes, but there's not going to do any more than two. And uh, because there's nothing much that he's going to do anyway, even if he did ten takes. Yeah, if you like his voice, that's it. Fuck that, I'm not letting him sing it. <laughs> 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 I'm going to do it myself, because it's going to be...
Two songs destined for the All Things Must Pass LP, Isn't It a Pity, which ended up with two versions on George's triple album masterpiece, and, at Rody Mal Evans's request, Window Window, a song that was demoed for the All Things Must Pass album, but made it no further. George was, of course, known for his guitar work, but he didn't mind sitting at the piano on occasion. Stepping out this old brown shoe a C only without without that note without the E that's in the C yeah that's like C7 This is camera A roll 501 slate 380 continued.
early run-throughs of Old Brown Shoe, the studio recording of which would end up as the B-side for Beatles' single The Ballad of John and Yoko later in the year. George would also play piano on the official release. As the get-back sessions drew to a close, George tried one more time to get one of his earlier contributions onto the set list. With the famous rooftop concert decided upon as the final performance for the project to be held the following day, and more piano-based numbers planned for the day after, this was really George's last chance for one of his own songs to be played by the whole band. From the 29th of January 1969, Let It Down, a song which had been debuted on the very first day of the Get Back Sessions, bringing the songs of George Harrison full circle. Well, that's it for this episode. 
Next time, we listen in to some of the more light-hearted moments from the Twickenham and Apple Studios as the Get Back sessions continue. Until next time, 